If you want to follow in the scriptures, you can turn to John chapter 12. We have various greetings for the different holidays. We say Merry Christmas, Happy Easter. What's our greeting for Palm Sunday? Hosanna? Most of us don't understand what the word means. And most of us don't understand the meaning of Palm Sunday itself. And that was no different in the first century. We see in our passage this morning that there were four different groups there. None of them truly understood the significance of Palm Sunday. They were each in a different place in their spiritual journey. Just like most of us today are in different places in our spiritual journey. As we look at these verses today, let each one of us ask ourselves, where are we on our spiritual journey? Let's pray. Our Father, meet us today with your word. Help us to see Christ for who he is and help us to understand where we are in relationship to him. And use the truths from your word today through your spirit to minister to my heart and to the hearts of everyone listening today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jesus had just accomplished his most astonishing miracle. His friend Lazarus had died and been placed in a tomb. He had been dead for three days. When Jesus arrived, called him out of the grave, Lazarus became alive again. So the word had gone out throughout the city, and so on this day, there's a, there's a buzz throughout the city. There are those who were eyewitnesses to the event, there were those who were curious about it, and those who were hostile to it. The religious leaders gathered together with the chief priest upon hearing of this miracle, and their response was, that this was a threat to the very survival of their nation and that Jesus had to die. On Palm Sunday, the Jewish people had come from all over the country to celebrate Passover. And the news of Lazarus's resuscitation went throughout the city and it led to many going out to Bethany where Jesus was of coming from. As Jesus began his journey, the crowd followed him with their hosannas, with the waving of palms. It was a day that the Lord had marked on his calendar. We know this because the book of Luke tells us that the religious leaders asked Jesus to rebuke his disciples and Jesus' response was, I tell you, if these are silent, the stones themselves will cry it out. Many scholars look at Daniel chapter 9, which is a chronology for the arrival of Jesus. Daniel had prophesied 69 weeks from the issuing of a decree that we see was a decree that Artaxerxes gave in Nehemiah chapter 2. 
And that was really the weeks or periods of seven years. And Harold Honer is one among many who have studied the dates. And as they studied it, they realized that the end point that Daniel was pointing to was March 30th, A.D. 33, or in the Jewish calendar, Nisan 10th. The day of Palm Sunday was Nisan 10th, A.D. 33. This was God's day to make the announcement that the Messiah had arrived. John chapter 12, verse 14, we give the meaning we see the meaning is, fear not, daughter of Jerusalem, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is a prophecy that had been made almost 500 years earlier from Zechariah. The first words, fear not, are actually not in Zechariah. They most likely come from Isaiah 40, verse 10. Zechariah says, rejoice, everyone, which is exactly what ha is happening. But John brings another meaning to it when he says, fear not. And as I hear those words, I think of the Christmas carol. All the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And that's exactly what was happening on Palm Sunday. All of the fears of all of humanity were being met by this coming king. He was coming not simply as a liberator, but he was coming as one who would bring peace, hope, and life. He did not come to vanquish the Romans, but to give life to everyone. And by the response, it seems as though Jesus had won over the hearts of everyone there. But we see by the four responses that that was not the case. And so we're going to look at four, diff the four different responses. The crowd, the disciples, the Pharisees, and the Greeks. We begin with the crowd, and I would call the crowd the naive. Naive people get caught up in the latest and greatest. They have a surface faith without any depth. They don't dig deeply to understand what they might actually be saying. So this crowd said all the right things. They, they cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They are proclaiming that Jesus is their king. He is their Messiah. And yet the verdict that John later gives in verse 37 is, though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So they, they had all the externals, but internally they did not believe. 
So these people represent the naive among us today, those who can make all the right proclamations. They may show up at church. They may claim to be Christians, but don't really understand what it all means. And I live that way for my entire life up to my last year of college. I, I can relate to that completely. I, I, would, I went to church regularly until I went to college. I would worship God. I would sing the songs. I would celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. I would celebrate Good Friday, the death of Christ, Easter, the resurrection of Christ. But I didn't really, really get it. It's like a story I like to tell. When I was in seminary, uh, during a Christmas time, I went to a mall and I started to share a little booklet about Jesus. And people would stop and they would graciously take it and move on. But there was this one young man who, who stopped and opened it up and started reading it. So I asked him, I said, so out of everyone who's ever lived and all the religious leaders, why do we celebrate Christmas? He said, well, because it's the birth of Jesus. And so then I asked, so why Jesus? And he stopped for a moment. He said, well, we celebrate Jesus because he's the savior of the world. And at that point, I was pretty excited that uh, this young man knew that. But I decided to ask one more question. So I said, what does it mean that he's savior of the world? And he responded, beats me. That's exactly where I was. We can say all the right things and still not really get it. These people did not believe. And many of them that were celebrating with the Hosannas on this day joined the crowd to cry crucify him four days later. Why? What is it we don't get about Jesus? And it's precisely what they were claiming. They were claiming he was king. And Jesus shows the implications of that in verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. When we believe Jesus is king, that means we serve him. We live our lives for him. We do not reconstruct Jesus into an image that fits our needs, our desires. We fit our lives into who Jesus is and his call upon our lives. But so many of us, me included, are resistant to give Christ lordship over our lives. But Jesus also says in verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. The second thing Jesus is saying about himself is that he is the savior. 
He's going to be lifted up on the cross. When he is on the cross, he is going to draw people from all nations to himself as Savior. We resist believing in the true Jesus because we resist his lordship and we resist the fact that he is Savior. Now, why would anyone resist the idea that Jesus Christ comes to die for our sins, to offer us eternal life as a gift? And the reason is because our identity is wrapped up in our own personal righteousness. We think of ourselves as good people, worthy people. But if we are going to say that Jesus is Savior, we are actually saying that we are sinners, that our righteousness is as filthy rags, that we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus to save us. We have to exchange our identity of how good we believe we are for that we are so loved by God. That's a trade we should be willing to make, but it's difficult for many. For the longest time, I called myself a Christian while I was clueless to what it really meant. Everyone around me would have called me a Christian, even when I wasn't. It's only when I realized that it was my sin that separated me from God. And I realized, yes, that was true. I was a sinner who needed a savior, and someone pointed me to Jesus Christ. If you find yourself as one of these who really don't understand the meaning of Christianity. Please reach out to us. Travis and I can be reached through our website. We're there to help you understand him more fully. The second group is the disciples, and I think most people at Westgate would put themselves among the disciples. Jesus had specifically chosen each one of them. They lived with Jesus for three years. They, they listened to all his teaching. They saw all of his miracles. They pledged their allegiance to Jesus. They even said that they would die with him. And yet, John 12, 16 tells us their understanding. At first... His disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that he had done these things to him. In some ways, they were like the crowd. They expected Jesus to be the liberator. They didn't understand the full true purpose of why he had come. It was only after Jesus was glorified that they understood. When was he glorified? As we see later in the passage, he was glorified when he is lifted up, when he dies on the cross. 
That was the true mission of Jesus. And they didn't understand the significance of Palm Sunday. They didn't really grasp the full significance of the ministry of Jesus Christ until after he died and was resurrected. He was glorified on the cross. That the day of Jesus' crucifixion, people would look and they would see Jesus was humiliated. He was mocked. He was made fun of. The religious leaders had won victory over him. Satan had won the day. But in reality, Jesus had won the day. He was glorified. Because it's that day we saw the full array of the character and qualities of Jesus Christ. There we saw the depths of his humility, the integrity of his character, the love for even his enemies, and his life-giving desire to glorify God. We saw the selflessness of Christ like no other and he was glorified. And of course, Jesus is also glorified through the resurrection. It's there that God put his stamp of approval on him, declaring, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We don't truly understand Jesus until we understand and center our lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. Many glorify Jesus as a great teacher, a very moral person, perhaps the greatest person in all of history. That's what the disciples believed on Palm Sunday, but they didn't really understand because they missed the most crucial feature that he had come as Savior. We need to make the gospel of Jesus Christ the center of our lives. And then everything else about Jesus Christ falls into place. If we don't make the gospel central, we will never fully understand who Jesus is. The third group is the religious leaders. They're opponents of Jesus. They knew the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. They knew that the miracles of Jesus confirmed his claims. They never questioned the reality of Jesus' miracles, only the source of it. When he cast out a demon, they never said, that person never had a demon. Instead, they said, you cast out demons by the power of demons. They didn't question the truth of the resurrection of Lazarus. They wanted to bury it. We see in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 12, it says the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well as Jesus, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The religious leaders saw everything that pointed to Jesus. 
Instead of responding to him graciously, they sought his death because of their desire to keep their power and their standing among the people. On this day, we see there are Pharisees. Verse 19 tells us, so the Pharisees, as they were watching this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world goes after him. Instead of exploring the reactions of the crowd, they were irritated by it. See, they saw themselves as people who, who knew best. They knew better than everyone else. And that they were actually the protector of the Jewish nation. To them, Jesus was a threat to their religion. He was a blasphemer who had growing support among the people. They felt, in fact, that his movement would cause the Romans to intervene and cause tremendous harm among them. They believed they were serving God by silencing Jesus. Instead, they were keeping people from Israel's real glory, the true Messiah. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. There's many opponents to Christianity today. There's a plethora of books and articles showing that Christianity is harmful. And they've convinced many college students and others readers of their books. The authors sincerely believe that they're helping our society, just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day thought they were helping their society. If you happen to be an opponent of Jesus, consider the implications of your rejection of Jesus and that upon others. Paul was willing to do that. The Apostle Paul did that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Jesus is not raised, if this is all fairy tales, then I'm doing harm to people, I'm misrepresenting God, and I'm a pitiful person. But, he says, Jesus did rise from the dead. Therefore, all that we proclaim about Jesus Christ is life to those who believe. A number of skeptics, a number of opponents of Christianity have changed when they explored the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One such skeptic was Frank Morrison. Frank Morrison was an investigative journalist. He was a skeptic of Christianity, and he set out to disprove the Christian faith by showing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a farce. As he studied deeper and deeper into the culture of the day, what was happening in that day, he learned that Jesus had actually raised from the dead. As a result, he became a Christian and he wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? There's a lot at stake 
in regards to Christianity being criticized. People being kept from life. It's so important to look at the real apologetic proof of Christianity, to look at the historicity of the resurrection, and we can recommend a book by N.T. Wright on the resurrection if you're really willing to explore it. The fourth group we see is the Greeks, or the seekers. John 12 says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip with a request, Sir, they say, we would like to see Jesus. They came to Jerusalem during Passover because they actually believed in the God of the Jewish people. Now, most people adopt religion based on uh, the culture in which they grew up. These Greeks were open-minded. They sought the truth, and they stepped beyond the parameters of their culture, and they learned about the one true God in Judaism. The fact that they were so respectful of the Jewish religion showed that they were open-minded and open-hearted. As they saw the commotion surrounding Jesus, they became curious because they were seekers of truth. They wanted to know the truth about Jesus himself. Now, the, the passage doesn't tell us what happened to the seekers. We're only left to our imaginations. Some may have believed in him. Some may have walked away. Some may have sought more information about Jesus. I admire seekers, but there does come a time we have to make a decision. Seek truth as much as you can, but ultimately don't stay on the fence. Jesus himself said, if you are not for me, you are against me. If you sit on the fence, you are against Jesus. Imagine a pandemic that actually would take the life of everyone in the world. And there is someone who comes and says he has a cure. And some people take that cure and others mock that cure. And it's going to take a couple weeks before uh, the cure shows itself to be pure, uh, efficacious or not. And so you're sitting on the fence at that time. You're not for it. You're not against it. But as you sit on the fence, because you're not for it, you do not take it, and you do not promote it to anyone else. You might as well be against it because you've harmed yourself and you've harmed those whom you are speaking to about that medicine. Be a seeker of truth, but eventually don't sit on the fence. We've seen the meaning of Palm Sunday as God meant it to be. We've seen it as it was uh, through the, resp the responses of 
for various groups, but there's a fifth response. And that's the response of Jesus himself. You know, when the Greeks uh, say they want to see Jesus, it's like they're really asking, who does Jesus say he is? The crowd's calling him the Messiah. What does he, what does he say? And we see Jesus' answer in verses 23, 24. Jesus answered, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is the King of Kings. But more importantly, he is our Savior. He tells us that his death is like a seed. It needs to happen so that there can be life. See, every one of the groups were looking at Jesus and the proclamations of him being king. And truly he is. But he's more than that. The significance of this day is really in his proclamation of being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Chuck Missler gives us a historical background to this day. He says, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan also corresponds with the teaching of Exodus 12, 3 through 6, in which a lamb was separated from the flock and put on display as the lamb destined to be sacrificed on Passover. On this day, Palm Sunday, Jesus was put on display as he proceeded from Bethany down the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem. While the people welcomed Jesus as the Messiah, the King, his primary purpose at that time was to die, as he explains in John 12, 23 through 33. Despite the hatred of the religious leaders, the insincerity of the crowd, the cluelessness of the disciples, despite the fact that no one deserves Jesus' compassion, he so loved the world that he took up his cross and walked that road to Calvary. Where are you on your spiritual journey? If you've been naive or insincere in your worship, Jesus loves you and died for you. If you're a disciple who's far from where you should be on your journey, make the death of Jesus Christ central. If you're an opponent of Jesus, remember Jesus' words from his opponents at the foot of the cross. Father, forgive them. Christ died for you. If you are a seeker, go to the foot of the cross and hear Jesus cry, it is finished. Your sins have been paid for in full. Take that gift of eternal life. Embrace Jesus 
No matter where you are, remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you. What's your response to him? Our Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Forgive us for the times we have pushed him aside, where we have minimized what he has done for us, where we've been cauterized to the beauties of the truth of what Jesus has done for us because we've heard it so many times. Lord, especially this week, bring us up that road of Calvary. May we stand at the foot of the cross and see the love of Christ poured out for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.